Amen, right on. I've been loving this series called Different. You know, we're called to be different. There's things as Christ followers that are different. Um, I want to speak to, you know, particularly Christians here, but if you're a non-Christian today, I believe God can make your life different. He can make it better. He said, I came to bring life and give it to you abundantly, meaning I've come to show you how to do life and do it better. And so you have opportunity for that as we're together today. But I want to talk to you as Christians in this idea of different. You know, the first week we talked about uh, it's different for us as Christians because we have the advantage. We have a risen Savior. We have a God in heaven who's working on our behalf. Amen. And then in the second week, we talked about God does things different. Uh, it's never how you can predict it or plan it, but you can count on him. Amen. And so today I want to talk about our different or the different for this week in week three is that we're called to be different. You're called to be different. You're not called to be like everybody else. You're not called to do it like culture and everything else. If you were to pull people uh, in the New Testament and you were to say, because you remember that religion was happening before Jesus and the disciples were following. And, but if you were to take a news crew and you were to start to interview people who were Christ followers committing to live a lifestyle of following Jesus, these people would say about the disciples, man, they're really different because they're like all in. They're totally committed about this time. Yeah, amen. These people here, uh, they gave up house and home or they quit jobs or they left this or they traveled long lengths to be a part of Jesus' movement. Somebody say amen. And so, man, there's just something really different about them. They're not just trying this thing. They're committed to this thing. They're, they're disciplined in this thing. They're a disciple. They're, they're literally giving themselves to this teaching and this way of being with God. Amen. And so we know, uh, and we say this often as a church, uh, and I just want to say this about this sermon. It may be a little bit more in, intense or, or, or kind of at us because it was at me as I studied it uh, than some of my other ones, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, we have a, a minister who comes to the church uh, and ministers to the staff and some of our team and gives uh, prophetic words, and he says these things. He says, uh, you know, God's getting ready to do a tune-up. And we all need a tune-up every once in a while, right? You know, we just need to stop doing it the same old way, and we just need a tune-up and an adjustment. And I hope that this message kind of rattled us in a way that we get this tune-up. Uh, it's not a bad thing to get a tune-up. You actually get to perform better after the tune-up. Uh, thinking about these basketball games being played, uh, texting with my buddies. We had a bad first half, and we say things at halftime like, hey, don't worry about it. I trust coach. He's going to be able to make the adjustments. will come out better. That tune-up at halftime, actually, I have confidence in that tune-up that it's going to make us better. Anytime the word of God or God speaks something to you or shows something to you, we shouldn't resist or try to push away that halftime adjustment that God's trying to do on us. We should embrace that thing and go back out there and be better in the second half. Amen. And so I just feel like that's kind of what God wants to do today is just give us a little tune up because he calls us to go from glory to glory or from faith to faith. I mean, you know, you've heard me say before, you don't graduate from faith. It's not like, oh, God called you to do something and you obeyed him and then you did it. And since you did it, he gave you a little faith badge and now you get to sit back. No, we're always pursuing. We're always taking ground. We're always going from glory to glory in God. Amen. And so God's called us to be different. He's just called us to, to be a people that look different, act different in the pursuit of, of following him of being different than the world. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. How many know there's no loophole in there? You don't get out of anything. He's covered all bases. So how much do we love God? With everything, with all of us, with every part of us. Every way that you can think is what we're called to love God in. Everybody says, oh, no, yeah, I, I agree, Pastor, I agree. But no, do we agree? Like every part of us. 
is every part and every decision and every structure and every calendar and every checkbook that you have is every area of those things positioned and, and put in a way that it's loving God with all of who you are. Amen. The definition of love is a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Like, could people look at our lives and say, oh, yeah, it's obvious that they love God because look at the, the kinship and the personal tie that they have to God. It's obvious in their life. Could it be said about us? Another definition of love here is often based on admiration, benevolence or care or common interest. Could it be the same thing? People look at our life and say, oh, you know, it's obvious that there's a love there because they have such an admiration for God. There's such a care toward God and from God. You can see God caring on their life and them responding to God. And, or, or you can tell that they're a Christ follower and they love God because look at all the common interest of the ways of God and the way that they live their life. Amen. It's a total dedication. We sang it this morning. It's, it's not, hey, you know, that God thing sounds pretty good. Let's check a box and kind of add that to a part of our life. No, God in our life and being a Christ follower and being a disciple of him, it's not an interest. It's a complete surrender. It's what we sang. It's, it's God, you can have it all. Every part of me, all that I am is all surrendered to you. Not just, hey, that part on Sunday or this part here. It's a total giving over. It's a complete sacrifice of who we are to him. That's what makes us different is that we're all in for him instead of the ways of the world. Amen. March Madness, you see the same thing. Uh, you could tell a person's love for their team because of their outward expression of their great affection. Well, we love this team. And then they, they act and they cheer and they respond with a great passion toward their team. Uh, the Greek word... In this love the Lord your God with all your heart, one of the Greek words for God is theos, where we get the word enthusiasm. So one of the natures of God is enthusiasm, is a great, it's a great passion. It's a strong desire. It's an energetic being. Amen. Do you understand? And so where we get this word enthusiasm, another breakdown of it in Scripture, check this out, is when they describe a person who has this enthusiasm, the God kind of enthusiasm, it says it's like they're possessed by God. Amen. What a great compliment that would be about your life. Yeah. Oh, man, here comes that pers person. Look at them. Man, look at their life. It's as if they're possessed by God. They're, they're so overtaken by the things of God, the ways of God, the will of God, the hand of God on their life. They surely must be possessed by God. I mean, you know, we have God on the inside of us. Yeah. You are possessed by God. Let's, let's have some passion and some enthusiasm toward that way of living. Amen. So this teaches us that some of the most enthusiastic people ought to be God people, Christians. If enthusiasm comes from God, then shouldn't some of the most enthusiastic people be the people of God? Shouldn't the people who are leaping the wall and, and knocking down the door and the people who are going after darkness, shouldn't, shouldn't, be the people who are make, shouldn't the people that are out to make a difference be these enthusiastic Christian people? But a lot of times when you see the Christians coming along, it's like, oh, here, what are they coming to complain about? What are they going to come picket? What are they going to come tell us we're going to hell over? There's no enthusiasm. It's all negativity. There's all this backbiting, complaining, murmuring picking on each other. Amen. And God's like, no, let's be a people with great enthusiasm and a heart after me that we just run. Amen. So if enthusiasm comes from God, shouldn't some of the most enthusiastic places be the church? 
if, if one of the makeups of God is this enthusiasm, this energy, this passion, then why do we just spectate in church? Why do we just sit back and just watch and observe instead of believe that God wants to get in you and use you and make a difference? That's a good spot to say amen. So if the most enthusiastic places should be the church, then it shouldn't be our football stadiums, our concerts, or the mall at Christmas. And nothing wrong with those places. I go to stadiums and concerts and not really the mall at Christmas, but I'm too old for that. I turned 35 and, you know, there's stairs there and it's just a whole bunch of work. (laughs) Elevators, I mean, you got to wait and stand. It's just rough. So, but these places are filled with enthusiasm, great passion, great commitment. They're filled with the disciples of the University of Michigan or whatever, right? And you can tell that they're committed to it. But how many know the churches need to be the same way? If God is enthusiasm, we ought to be enthusiastic. That's why Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Two things we know here. One, you have to have desire. Number two, you ought to be praying when you pray. Believe that you have received them and they are yours. So it's saying literally for you to have God move in your life, you have to have passion about something. You have to have desire about something. You can't do this little like, oh, and I pray that maybe if this or that. God's saying, come to me with desire and a passion and a heart to see me move. And then your prayers will be answered. We need passion and commitment and desire. What makes you different is that you're committed. Your hand is to the plow and you don't look back. Amen. You can't have an interest in the things of God and expect to receive what you pray for. It's like, oh, maybe, God, I'm kind of interested. It's a part of maybe if this. No, it has to be on the inside of you. It has to be who you are. You have to be completely committed to the things and the ways of God. Amen? Acts chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to paraphrase a little part for you. But this is Jesus after the resurrection. How many of you know before the death, burial, and resurrection, he did miracles? We know that he even raised people from the dead, but he himself has not yet walked in the resurrection power. But I love this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. We actually share this quite a bit around here because it's a great theme. It says this, After his passion, he showed himself alive with many infallible or perfect proofs. So resurrected from the dead, he starts walking among the disciples and other people. And for days, he's in front of them, continuing to do miracles. But it said it took place after his passion, resurrection power. Some translations say, instead of passion, they say after his suffering. Some of us could say after his sacrifice. I'm here to tell you today, it works the same way in your life. After your passion, after you've been committed to it and stuck with it, and it was at the inner core of who you are, after you've stayed at it and you've committed, after your passion, sometimes after your suffering, definitely after your sacrifice, God's resurrection power shows up and it's undeniable. There's perfect proofs in your life when you live committed to it that way. We have to be different. We have to live different. We have to look different than the world. Not to keep religious rules. Not to be like, oh, we should be different because the rule book says we should be different. We should be different because God called us to be different. And that's a blessing. That's an honor. That's to our benefit. Amen. So after his passion, great things, even greater things, resurrected power, all of this stuff took place. Passion is the difference between winners and losers. You can have two equal teams take a playing field or a basketball court, and the commentators at the end will say they were equal, uh, but at the end, this team just wanted it more. They had a greater desire, a stronger passion. 
I wonder if some of the interest groups out there that are taking ground in our community, I wonder if they just want it more than we do. I wonder if they're just willing to commit more than we are. I wonder if they're thinking further ahead than what the church is. I know those interest groups aren't looking just at one generation. They're looking at how they can influence and infect multiple generations. That's why a church ought to be filling up its kids' ministry with workers. Because we got to think bigger than we're thinking. we got to be full all in. We need a church of multiple generations working together. It ought not to be said, oh, we don't have enough uh, to serve the kids, or we can't open another classroom, or we can't start another curriculum because we don't have enough. If we're people full of passion, we ought to be holding people back. I ought to be preaching to one or two people because the kids' men has all of you. Amen. There's shark bites up there. It's awesome. You should get up there. These interest groups, I wonder if they're putting in more passion and they have bigger strategies and they have better uh, just moves put into their life than with the church because, well, you know, we're busy and this is what we can handle and this is our after our passion, our sacrifice, and even sometimes our suffering, the resurrection power comes in. And there's many infallible proofs. Passion is the difference between winners and losers. You can have two equal ideas, but the person with the most go for it is the one who usually sees it. Uh, One of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game, Michael Jordan, uh, he said this. He said, greatness lies in the pursuit of it. Greatness lies in the pursuit of it. So greatness is not found standalone over here on its own called greatness. Greatness is actually in the process of achieving greatness. That's what Christians do all the time. We say, oh, we want a move of God and we want to see God do a thing. And we have this expectation of God over here. But, but God doesn't live. God lives in the process of it in our life. He lives in the passion of it, the commitment, the discipleship process, the d- discipline of it. The greatness of God is in it. I'll say it like this. In the pursuit of the greatness of God, you find the greatness of God. It's not a someday when we get it over there. It's in the process of pursuing the greatness of God. That's why we can't just leave it to a little bit on a Sunday morning or a little bit at a book study or a little bit at a a worship night. We need to pursue God daily. Scripture, like Pastor Robert Morris tweeted this week, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Well, the daily bread, the scripture says that the word of God is our bread. It's the bread of life, which means daily you ought to be getting a word from God. We ought to be reading and in our word and getting a word and studying and reading the Bible. I think the expectation is that we do read the Bible every day. If you're a first-time visitor here, you're like, I can't believe there's one of these churches in Zealand. That guy is off the... I'm not, I'm not a browbeater, I promise you. But I'm just telling you, for our lives, if we're called to be different and God wants to do it different, we need to act like we're committed to this thing. I don't know if I can fit daily reading. Well, statistically, you fit a lot of other things in a day that shouldn't come before your daily bread. And my hand is raised in that too. I'm just as guilty as saying, God, I don't think I can follow you into that right now because I got this stuff. And he's like, stuff before me? I thought we talked about that. Didn't you tell your people we don't do that? (laughs) We all battle this. But I'm just telling you the silly excuses that we make. Oh, you know, daily bread. I don't know if I can do it daily. I got to keep up with this over here and this. Our daily bread. Amen. It's not a destination. It's a discipline. God's greatness is not some destination. It's a discipline that we're committed to. That's why we're disciples. Proof of passion for God is in the pursuit. You've heard me say this before. Uh, If I were to tell everybody, hey, guess what, you guys? I have this revelation. I'm going to be a keyboard player. God's called me to be a keyboard player. Uh, I'm just really going to, I got a passion for it. 
And then a month later, you said, hey, have you got a keyboard? Oh, no, I didn't get a keyboard yet. Well, you're taking lessons? I know I'm not taking lessons, but I got a passion for playing that keyboard. I have well, then how many of you know I don't have a passion for playing the keyboard? Passion, the proof of it is in the pursuit of it. Are you taking steps toward it? Are you walking towards the thing that you're saying you're walking toward? Amen. Proof is in the pursuit. If we're saying we love God and we want to see a move of God and we want to see God make a difference in our community, how do we pursue that? Amen. This room is what I love about God is there is God not, he's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for everybody who's got it all figured out. I think about this room and the people who've helped build this church and even myself at the front of that. I don't have the, I don't have a Liberty University. I don't have a cornerstone degree. I don't have the biggest Bible college thing to show you, but we're people who don't quit. There's a, there's, a, there's a team here of people that said, hey, look, we're not waiting for it to be perfect. We're not waiting for it all lined up. But I'll tell you one thing we're not going to do. We're not going to quit. We're not going to stop. We're not going to let evil win in our communities. Amen. God can use us if we're committed. But we have this casual, bless me, Christianity club. Uh, I hear it in marriage counseling. People say, oh, you know, we're, we're, we just got married and we're trying to find a church because, you know, we just think uh, in our marriage it would probably be a good idea if we went to church and then God could bless the marriage. I'm just like laughing on the inside. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. If you, if you spring, we just want God's blessing on our life. If you just sprinkle a little church into your lifestyle, surely God's blessing is going to show up everywhere for you. That's not how it works. That's not how it worked for Jesus. He was on the cross with flesh hanging off him to accomplish his destiny, cost him great suffering. I'm not here to give you a message about how God's going to call you into suffering and we're all worms and we're all this. But if you have this idea of Christianity as this good little checkbox, it's something you can put on your Facebook profile, that's not what God's calling us into. He's calling us into a lifestyle of sacrifice and surrender. That's why it says, I must decrease so he can increase. We're called to just be different and do it different. Uh, I had a pastor friend of mine who I'm kind of helping him with some of the processes in their church, and he was telling me how deep their church is. Oh, we got this church. It's so deep, and uh, they're just such great Christians. We go after God, and we have a move of God, and we're just a real mature church, and, and we just, God's hand is really on this thing. So, you know, I'm hearing that. I'm excited for him. And then later we're talking about processes and structures. And uh, he's telling me how they schedule their leaders and things like that. And I said, hey, you know, one adjustment you should make here is just let the people know in your two services uh, that they have this great opportunity. We call it serve one, worship one. You can schedule yourself to serve. And then when you're done with that, you can come into the second service or other way around. Uh, you know, serve and then worship or worship one, serve one, whatever. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, no. Our people won't do that. He said, you know, we've just really found uh, only about once a, week, once a month of serving uh, is about all that really works and fits for our people. And uh, that's about all that fits and works. That's about really all they can handle. They would definitely not go for, uh, you know, serve one, worship one, maybe multiple times a month. They definitely wouldn't do that. I said, well, then thinking to myself, you know what you don't have? That's the first thing you described. A church that's in a move of God and maturity and depth and whatever. If they can't surrender and commit themselves to serving, the greatest of these, the greatest moves of God, are when somebody serves, gives themselves to the least of these. Amen? We get so caught up in what it feels like and looks like. And God's like calling for a lifestyle of surrender. Amen? It takes great passion and commitment and sticking to it. And God's calling us to look different. For us, our social media should look different as a Christ follower. When you live and interact with people in your break rooms, you should talk different, act different. Not holier than thou, not from a judgmental standpoint, but like God called us to, to be a light in darkness. Not to share darkness, amen. Your St. Patrick's Day night should look different than the world's, amen. 
uh, we say, oh, God, I want to see you move, but can you keep it on Sunday morning and occasionally a couple times a year in the book study or whatever? We need to ask God to move every day in all things that we're a part of. We can't stay bound up. It's not the way God called us to live. We can't try to contain God to what works for us. Oh, we can't do it here and here. That doesn't fit. It doesn't work. You can't keep bound up. That's why the scripture says the first thing Jesus did when he was resurrected, it says he took his grave clothes off. Why? Because the body of Christ doesn't belong to be bound up. You're not called to stay bound. People say, well, let's keep it in the church and just do some things for the church. No, we're not going to keep the body of Christ bound up. We've got to keep it unbound and bring it to the streets. Amen. It's the same thing that he said to Lazarus when he called Lazarus forth. He said, loose this man. Why? Because a Christ follower, somebody walking in the resurrection power of God is not meant to stay bound. Yeah. Amen. You got to call and believe and ask God to, to, to take those things off you that are holding you. We got to pray for this church and for other churches that God takes the things off that are holding us back from making a difference in our community. Amen. Amen. Elijah, who we know, the great prophet. Scripture says, was taken up in a fiery tornado. He got a grand death, if you will. Didn't die, taken to heaven in this fiery tornado. Uh, he did great things in his life. For one example, he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. I've been trying to do that my whole life. Command snow and stuff to leave. But he had the ability to do it for three and a half years. He also raised a boy from the dead. We know that he was able to pray over and bless a hundred priests with an anointing that he was carrying in his life. He's a great man. But then we see Elisha comes underneath them, and we don't know anything about his parents. It says Elisha the Tishbite. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his thing. But the thing that's said about him is he said, it was said this of him in comparison to Elijah. said Elisha was a man of a like passion, meaning the commitment, the dedication, the thing that was burning on the inside of Elijah was the same thing that was burning on the inside of Elisha. And those two things can sync up and link up and make a difference. Amen. So his prayer was that I have a double portion anointing. I get double what Elijah did. I want to see double those miracles. And that promise was given to him. But many of us in the church say these things like, where's the God of Elijah? With all of these miracles and all of this, we want to see that God move. Where's the God of Elisha? And I just believe God is probably also looking back and being like, well, where's the passion of Elisha? We say, God, why aren't you in this? Why aren't you making a difference? Why aren't you helping here? And he's like, well, look at the limited schedule you've given me. Look at the little bit amount of time I have in my life. I'm not much in your resources. I'm not much in your calendar. I'm not much in your thought life. I'm not much in your prayer life. I'm not, amen. You're expecting me to be something that you're not giving me permission to do. So we pray, God, be this, God, be that. But our passion needs to be a likewise passion. Amen. So the scripture goes on say that he said, I want a double portion. This is how much God honors our passion for him and for his moves. Scripture says Elisha dies one short miracle, one miracle short of the promise of the double portion. And so they took his body, they buried him in a cave, which is a normal thing to do. Uh, they put him in this cave. It says later uh, there was a battle in that same place. There's a, there's a, a killing, uh, whatever soldiers die. And the scripture says that they take those dead corpses of those soldiers and they throw them into the same cave that Elisha's buried or kept in. And when the carcass of one of those soldiers hit the dry bones of Elisha, he came back to life. Why? Because God so honors your prayer desires, your passion desire, your amen, that even after death, you can see things come to life. Amen. But it took great passion. It was a man of like passion. He knew what he wanted of God and he went after God. Amen. 
I'll close with this. I thought about the woman with the issue of blood. God always responds to people who are committed to the process with passion and desire. Uh, the story in Mark chapter 5 of the woman with issue of blood, she for 12 years can't find her healing. She's done all that she knows how to do. She's really tormented and frustrated with this thing. There's judgment against her life. There's all this stuff happening. And the scripture says Jesus is in town and there's a whole bunch of people around and it's a very busy scene and the crowds are pushing and, and bumping and Jesus is being touched multiple times throughout the crowd. But the scripture says that the woman with the issue of blood, she pushes past all the excuses of why she can't have healing from God. She says, you know what? I know they say I'm unclean and I shouldn't be here, but there's God. I'm going after him. I know that people say I'm not going to be able to get to him, I'm not going to be able to get a touch, and she pushes past logic. Sometime our passion does lead us past logic. Amen. The scripture says she finds her way to him and touches him, and Jesus stops the crowd and says, you know the story. Hey, wait a minute. Somebody just touched me. And the disciples are like, Jesus. There's like a whole bunch of people have been touching you and bumping into you. You know, this is like uh, if you've ever left a sports stadium and you leave like covering your wallet, this was one of those moments, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so you're, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? You're like a whole bunch of people are touching you. He said, no, somebody touched me with the passion and power left me. Because somebody connected to me with a belief and a desire and a, and a want to be different, different, I then released power into that person. Amen. And so healing took place. Hundreds followed. Power doesn't follow hype. Hundreds of people were following Jesus. We're near it. I'm telling you that it's possible for you to be near God, in church, hear God, do a thing, and still not receive power from him. But it's when you decide to reach out and touch him and, and receive from him and grab onto him with a passion and a desire. Amen. That's how you're going to receive healing. I thought about this in closing. Jacob showed the same passion. I will not stop until you bless me. They wrestled. I'm going to keep wrestling with you, God. I'm going to keep after this thing, putting my hand to the plow. Amen. Until you bless me, until I have this breakthrough, I'm still pursuing you with passion and desire. And it's okay if it makes me look different. It's okay if it seems to make no sense in the middle of the night to be wrestling with an angel. But I know that this is what you've called me to, and I'm not going to stop until I see blessing. It's dangerous when your life is growing, but your passion for him is shrinking. That's the great play that the enemy does. As he says, oh, you know, yeah, you're, you're doing good. Things are fine. You can, you can scale it back. You're doing all right. You got stuff put together. Surely God is blessing you. Just take it easy. But when your passion for him is shrinking, you're pretty close to things falling apart. That's why the scripture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be filled. It's a desire thing. It's a passion thing. It's a pursuit thing that we need to have for him. Amen.